Hey y'all, this is Khadija and I'm a part of the Working Class Heroes Collective that works on the show with the rest of the team. Before we start our show, Deciding Puerto Rico's Future, I wanted to give you all a short update behind the scenes. First of all, I want to thank you all for listening to our show. We really do appreciate you all and we're always thinking of ways to engage with our listeners. One of the ways we're doing this is through our first fundraiser, which we launched last week with a modest goal of $6,000. And in just a few days, you all donated a little over $3,000. We're pretty blown away by that. And we really appreciate all those who have donated and shared our fundraiser link with their family, friends, and their social media accounts. But we're still halfway to our goal and need your help to bring it home. So go to GoFundMe.com, search Working Class Heroes Radio, and give us a donation, whatever you can, so we can keep this project going and help us expand and improve our coverage. If you prefer to use Venmo, you can send donations to at WCH Radio. We love you all and look forward to bringing you more stories, local news, and interviews with New York City's working class heroes. So make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and check out our previous shows at our website, WCHradio.org. Now, on to our show. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio. My name is Lupita Romero and I'm one of your hosts tonight. And I'm Mel, your other co-host. Today we are going to talk about a ballot box issue in November that has not been getting much attention. A referendum in Puerto Rico to decide whether the island wants to join the United States as a state. But first, we're kicking it to Danny and Khadija for headlines this week. President Donald Trump has been diagnosed with COVID-19, along with First Lady Melania Trump. Last night, Trump was flown to Walter Reed Medical Center. We don't yet know Trump's condition or how many other government officials are infected. This is an extraordinary situation, so we are changing our usual format for headlines to address it. Firstly, we at Working Class Heroes would like to send a message of support to all of the workers in the White House, the press corps, and the Bedminster golf course who might have been infected by the president and his staff, and express our outrage that Trump and his team didn't reveal that Hope Hicks had tested positive on Wednesday and that the president started feeling symptoms the next day. 46,000 people in the U.S. and 322,000 people around the world tested positive for COVID-19 on the same day as Donald Trump. We send them our best wishes for a speedy recovery, and we send condolences to the loved ones of the 8,701 people who died around the world from COVID-19 that day, including 847 people in the U.S. We'd also like to acknowledge the gravity of the head of state getting coronavirus. As the president, he was able to have the greatest precautions to protect him from this virus, and he still got it. That speaks volumes as to how the U.S. should be handling the pandemic to protect the working class. We'd like to now highlight the impact of COVID-19 on various working class and oppressed communities. First, we want to express our condolences for the 32,000 New Yorkers who have died from this plague 
and acknowledge the trauma that our communities have lived through. Most New Yorkers died in the early months of the pandemic when Donald Trump refused to use the Defense Protection Act to force companies to provide ventilators and PPE and our hospitals were so undersupplied that nurses were wearing garbage bags to protect themselves. And we want to acknowledge the fear that many teachers, parents, and students feel now reporting to schools that have been nonsensically reopened, even as infection rates are spiking in many neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Queens. We also want to acknowledge the over 42,000 meatpacking workers who have tested positive for COVID and the over 200 who have died. On April 28th, President Trump signed an executive order ordering meat processing plants to remain open and promised to help meatpacking companies avoid legal liability for their horrific safety conditions. Amazon recently announced that over 19,000 of their frontline workers in the U.S. have tested positive for COVID-19. This is especially disturbing given that Amazon workers were courageously organizing at the beginning of the pandemic to call out atrocious protection measures. We want to sincerely express our unwavering solidarity with Amazon workers and their families and all other workers taking the brunt of the coronavirus's consequences. ICE, or the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, currently reports 3,917 positive cases of COVID-19 across their facilities. This is over 20% of the detained population as they are kept in unsafe and unsanitary conditions. The horror of these camps is outright criminal. We support all immigrants wherever they seek safety and demand justice, liberation, and protection from the coronavirus. We want to finish with a statement from Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. As someone who lost my father to this virus and seen the pain that it causes, I do not wish it on anyone. Over 200,000 people have now died while this administration actively ignores public health guidance and suppresses science. For months, we have been hoping for a simple acknowledgement from the president to hear the words, we will get through this together. And now we only hear those words when it is about him, not the hundreds of thousands of people who have just lost their lives and the millions whose families who have been touched by it because of his malfeasance. Their cruelty is a direct threat to my constituents. This week, the president held a rally and fundraiser in Minnesota, flouting the guidance of his own health agencies by failing to wear a mask. In doing so, he exposed hundreds in a state that is already suffering from an uptick in cases. Republican members of our congressional delegation traveled with him on Air Force One and have not quarantined. In fact, they came to the Capitol today, risking the lives of additional elected leaders and staff the President of the United States and Republicans in Minnesota are actively spreading a deadly virus. They are a risk to the public health of my constituents and our country. Finally, as for Donald Trump, however he and Melania managed to come through this disease, we at Working Class Heroes express to them our determination that he be held accountable for all the grief, harm, and destruction that he has caused through his handling of this pandemic and his many other crimes. Back to Melon Lupita. Soy el terreno invadido, naturaleza robada. Soy pensamiento indebido.
nada Soy el dolor que no siente Soy la memoria olvidada Soy material resistente Con rabia despellejada Con el coraje de frente voy a ganar la batalla Hecha de viento y de playa soy la ola que va a romper Quieren verme caer, pero daré bien la talla Atravesar la muralla voy contra todo para defender That was Contra Todo, Baile. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming on WBAI.org. This week, we're focusing on Puerto Rico. In November, amidst gubernatorial and other elections, there will be a contentious referendum on the island, asking residents to vote on whether Puerto Rico should become a state of the United States. Similar referendums have been rejected before, but although the upcoming vote is non-binding on Congress, this is the first time the question has been voted on in such a direct manner, with a simple question posed to Puerto Ricans. Should Puerto Rico be admitted immediately into the union as a state? Yes or no? And later on in the show, Julian is going to be speaking with Paul Figueroa, a Puerto Rican teacher and activist who's come to talk with us in more detail about this referendum. But no matter what the outcome is, this is an issue that's going to be felt in New York City, where there is more than half a million Puerto Ricanos who are increasingly becoming active in all of these fights. There's been three major migrations in Puerto Rico, from Puerto Rico to the U.S., and the most recent wave of migration is actually ongoing. In fact, between 2017 and 2018, Immigration from the island to the U.S. has increased by 36%. And this last migration has been a result of the ongoing financial crisis and environmental disasters that Puerto Rico has faced, such as Hurricane Maria and other tropical storms. So Puerto Ricanos have deep roots in New York City. And with that also comes a rich history of activism and engagement in questions of policy around Puerto Rico, but also questions of independence, as well as the issues that Puerto Ricans have always faced in the U.S. when it comes to racism and economic disenfranchisement. For example, in the 1960s, it was over a thousand Black and Puerto Rican activists that marched and protested for the City University of New York, or CUNY as we know it, to be more free and accessible for Black and Brown youth. Before this strike, CUNY, which was built in Harlem, was 97% white. In the 1970s, it was Puerto Rican youth that formed the Young Lords of New York City, a political group that was inspired by the Black Panthers and that organized in Washington Heights and the Bronx. They organized against police brutality and for social services. And one of their most famous actions, um, which is something I learned about when I was a teenager, was called the Garbage Offensive. And it was basically when Young Lords activists organized a community cleanup since sanitation services would often refuse to go up to low-income neighborhoods. And so what they did is that they organized a community cleanup where they piled up all of the garbage from the neighborhood and ended, ended up setting it on fire 
to protest the lack of sanitation services in low-income neighborhoods. And it was also in the 1970s that Puerto Rican independence activists occupied the Statue of Liberty and hung a Puerto Rican flag over the face of the statue to stand in solidarity with a resurging independence movement back in the island. In the 80s and 90s, we saw the repression of all kinds of progressive movements. But today, Puerto Rican activists continue to stay involved in some of the biggest fights in the city. They're leading campaigns around and against police brutality again, gentrification, as well as fighting for public education. So fast forward to last summer, and we saw massive protests that were sparked by a leak of hundreds of chats between then-Governor Ricardo Rosselló and others from his administration, containing sexist, homophobic, and classist comments, evidence of widespread corruption and negligence, and jokes about the recovery efforts after Hurricane Maria. Hundreds of thousands, both in Puerto Rico and states across the U.S., poured into streets for weeks, demanding the ousting of the governor. But protesters also made the connection between these immediate demands and the over-century-long colonial rule comprised of environmental and labor exploitation, austerity measures, undemocratic foreign governance, and lack of electoral representation. So we're going to turn now to a clip of a poet protester at one of these protests here in New York City at Union Square on July 18th of last year, a week before the eventual resignation of the governor. In the end, you can hear protesters shouting, Ricky renuncia y llévate la junta, or Ricky resign, and take the junta, the name for the foreign oversight board governing the island, with you. One of the issues running through this and so many of the protests emerging since last year is a sharp criticism of the colonial relationship between the U.S. and Puerto Rico, which has kind of reached a modern peak with the passing of the Puerto Rico Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act, 
or PROMESA in 2016 by a U.S. Congress that Puerto Rico has no representation in. And in response to an immense debt crisis in Puerto Rico, PROMESA established a seven-member unelected fiscal control board to oversee Puerto Rico's finances, giving it the power to restructure essential services across the island. And it's pretty complicated to explain everything about this model, but it has to be said that this model of foreign control over finances of other countries has modern roots in the International Monetary Fund, which is the IMF. And this is basically an international body of capitalists who work with governments to bail out countries that are in need of financial help. But in reality, a lot of these restructuring finance programs have radically restructured countries' economies, mostly by imposing severe cuts in public services and other neoliberal transformations as conditions for getting the financial help to begin with. And most people think that this is just happening internationally. But here in New York City, we actually had a similar model that was used during the debt crisis in the 70s, and which led to the creation of the Emergency Financial Control Board that ended up imposing substantial cuts in public services and public employment here in New York City, despite the fact that the board itself was widely unpopular. And more recently, similar and democratic takeovers have occurred, most recently in Detroit in 2014. But with its direct roots come U.S. imperialism. The takeover of Puerto Rico by a board composed primarily of business leaders that have invested interest in the island and worse, that are justifying the island and framing the people of the island as incapable of managing themselves, even though the U.S. profiteering off of the island is a lot of the reasons why they're in such a financial crisis. So these sentiments grew after Puerto Ricans lived through the response to Hurricane Maria, the worst natural disaster to hit the island in recorded history. The response from the governor demonstrated his administration's corruption and commitment to austerity measures and foreign investors, even in the face of this crisis. While that fiscal control board we were talking about revealed how it saw the disaster just as an opportunity to push through its policies, championing things like abolishing labor protections, privatizing schools, and deepening the reliance on fossil fuels as supposedly the only way to recover. And Trump's recovery efforts also drew rage as he gave little support and even mocked the island as unfit to self-govern. A recent governmental report shows that the recovery shipments for Hurricane Maria were completely mishandled, with nearly 40% of shipments being lost and distribution delayed by months. Absolutely. And, you know, this is what has been happening in the last couple of years, especially around environmental disasters, is that it has increased migration from the island to places like New York City. And it has made it so the Puerto Ricans here are very invested in what's happening in the island. And so when Hurricane Maria and a lot of these environmental disasters happened, it was New York City Puerto Ricans who stepped up for the island and organized in major cities relief efforts to send supplies to Puerto Rico and then were enraged by the way that the supplies they were sending were either being misused or not used at all while people suffered. And so I think that 
Puerto Ricans in New York City have become politicized by what they're seeing happening over there and also by a lot of the issues that Puerto Rican, Black, Mexicans, and a lot of other ethnic minorities suffer here in the U.S. when it comes to lack of opportunities, lack of jobs, and discrimination in general. And so, you know, this is something that I think when it happens, and with the pandemic, we've seen sort of how it's impacted different movements and certainly um, in some cases kind of decreased mobilization. But I think that when this referendum happens, whatever comes out of it is definitely going to impact what Puerto Rican activists are doing here and how they show up in support of the island when it does happen. Definitely. And we here at Working Class Heroes will definitely be keeping up with that here in New York City. But for now, we're actually going to kick it off to Julian and Paul um, to talk about this referendum uh, going on in November about statehood. But first, some music. That was Afilando los Cuchillos by Residente, Ile, and Bad Bunny. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM. My name is Julian, and I want to thank Lupita and Mel for bringing us up to our interview segment. Tonight, I'll be speaking with our guest, Paul Figueroa, who's speaking with us live from Puerto Rico, if I have that right. Paul, I want to welcome you to Working Class Heroes. We're glad to have you on the show to talk about the Puerto Rican statehood referendum coming up in November. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, I am coming from San Juan, Puerto Rico right now. Um, I'm a candidate for San Juan City Council from the Puerto Rican Independence Party, the Partido Independiente Puerto Ricano. Um, but I grew up around Rochester, uh, New York. So I am uh, come from a Puerto Rican family uh, in exile, living in the United States, right? Um, and I have a lot of family in the Bronx and Brooklyn as well. So I'm glad to be here with a, a New York audience. I can't wait for the day when I can come back to New York City uh, and New York and visit. Yeah, it'd be great. The moment you're here, we should catch up and connect for sure. Um, so thanks for telling us a little bit about yourself. That was the first question I wanted to ask you because I think it's important that callers or I'm sorry, listeners to our station and to WBAI have a sense of who you are and where you're coming from. So I think we can jump right into it, right? So you know, Puerto Ricans who don't have the right to vote in presidential elections will get a chance to vote for statehood in what is going to be the sixth referendum on the issue, which is going to be held on November 3rd. Can you tell us a little bit about what the current status of Puerto Rico is in relation to the U.S. and how this status affects Puerto Rico negatively? Uh, 
So the current political status that Puerto Rico has, uh, it was officially instated in 1952. Uh, it's called the Estado Libre Asociado, the Freely Associated State, uh, which we are not free, nor we are associated, nor are we a state of the United States. Uh, but that is what it is called. Uh, and that is the option that we have, uh, the status option that we've had since 1952. Uh, the issue with the Estado Libre Asociado is that it, while it created the opportunity for Puerto Ricans to elect their own governor, uh, for Puerto Rico to have its own constitution, uh, the United States in 1901 in the insular cases in the Supreme Court uh, made the decision that Puerto Rico is not the United States, nor is it the United States, but pertains to the United States. Um, and I think that's very important, particularly for uh, Puerto Ricans that live in the diaspora, because I grew, I was born and raised in the diaspora. Um, and I grew up with this impression that Puerto Ricans, we are Americans. Well, we are not Americans because the Constitution says that we are not, that we are not them, nor are we part of them, but we are uh, pertaining to them. For all intents and purposes, we are treated as U.S. property. Um, and that's one of the big issues with the Estado Libre Social is that even though we were given the ability to elect our own governor and to have our own constitution, uh, the insular cases decision in 1901 is still the law of the land. Uh, the Ley 600, the Law 600, which created the opportunity for Puerto Rico to have its own constitution, the United States reserved the right to give or take away our constitution, however it deemed fit, in 2016 in the case, Supreme Court case of Sanchez Valle, uh, determined that the United States has complete dominion over Puerto Rican affairs. So the issue with the Estado Libre Social is it creates a government uh, that is in many ways symbolic uh, because the United States still has uh, supreme authority over all of the affairs in the island. And that is something that's been demonstrated by Le Promesa, uh, which was mentioned uh, earlier, in the, earlier in the show. So colonialism with a little bit more dressing, right? Something like that. Yeah, basically, uh, we are still a colony of the United States. Got it. And it's um, and it's also important to say that in the um, uh, when the Estado Libre Asociado was approved, uh, it was illegal to technically be pro-independence in Puerto Rico. Um, so our whole our whole constitution that said we were no longer a colony that this, you know this is the poster child for uh, decolonization. Uh, for the world, well, it wasn't even a fully democratic process because of the repression of the pro-independence movement at the time. So Puerto Rico, um, as much as uh, forces in both the United States and Puerto Rico have tried to deny it, we still are a U.S. colony. Hmm. So my sense is that these referendums aren't automatically held, but have to be called for or organized, right? Can you mm -hmm. tell me who organized this referendum and what are they trying to accomplish with this vote? So uh, the issue with these uh, referendums is that many times they are non-binding. Um, the last non-binding referendum was in the 1950s that created the Estado Libre Social, which again was binding. However, there was voter suppression happening uh, in Puerto Rico at that time. Uh, so these uh, referendums are non-binding. They do not have the support of the United States. Our last referend two referendums in 2012 and 2017 uh, did not have the support of the United States government, and this one does not either. The United States has already said they're going to reject the results of the referendum. 
this referendum was organized by the Partido Nuevo Progresista, the New Progressive Party, which just like the Estado Libre Asociado, we're not free, we're not associated, we're not a state. The New Progressive Party is not new, nor is it progressive. Uh, they represent the far right of Puerto Rican politics. Um, however, because of the word progressive, they've been able to infiltrate their way into progressive circles of American politics. The Partido, the Partido Nuevo Progresista approved the Law 51, and it's not ironic, that was on purpose, that it was the 51st law passed in 2020, um, that approved the status referendum, statehood, yes or no. Uh, that is because, because of the Ricky Renuncia scandal, because of the protests mentioned earlier in the show, uh, the PNP knows that they are not looking good in this election. And if they are running just based on the merits of their candidate, uh, they're not going to go anywhere. So the PNP candidate for governor is Pedro Pierluisi, who was confirmed as Secretary of State in the middle of the crisis, while the Puerto Rican legislator was not in, was not in session to have him approved, so he was automatically instated. And then seven days later, the Puerto Rican Supreme Court took him out of power and put Juan Lavasquez as governor. So right now, uh, the PNP candidate for governor is somebody who literally, uh, uh, how do you say in English, un asurpador. He usurped power. He committed yeah. a coup. He got in there illegally and he had to be taken out because he was there. He did not get there by legal means. And this is the person that the party has put forward in the general elections. They know they are not going to win on their own. So they created a statehood yes or no referendum to get their base out because their candidates aren't looking so good. So if they put statehood on the referendum, it'll bring their people out to vote. And statehood doesn't even need to win in the referendum for the PNP to win in the elections. Because the uh, the current polling right now, there's six candidates for governor of Puerto Rico representing a bunch of different political movements, and no candidate is polling above 40%. So in theory, the PNP could win 30% of the vote, win 30% in the status referendum, but still win the election because uh, our constitution, the Puerto Rican constitution, does not allow for coalition building, it does not allow for political alliances, um, and it does not allow for a second round of elections if a candidate does not win a clear majority. Um, so this is basically a trick for this party that is in a very bad position right now to stay in power. Got it. And how are Puerto Ricans responding to this new referendum call? Um, well, the PNP, of course, supports the referendum because they're the one that approved it, um, despite unanimous opposition from all the other parties. Um, they're the ones in control of Congress right now and the Puerto Rican legislature right now, so they were the ones that were able to get it through. Um, many Puerto Ricans uh, are mobilizing against the referendum. Uh, we have that demonstrated in the campaign, Sobre las razones para votar no. There's many reasons to vote no in English, um, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, but we also see the complacence and the apathy towards the plebiscite process. Um, I saw a recent poll that said only 30% of Puerto Ricans actually support statehood uh, and another poll said that uh, 30%, 32% of Puerto Ricans are thinking of not voting. Um, and we have seen this before in the referendum process. In 1998, uh, when we had a status referendum, uh, many people left the ballots. They would uh, submit their ballots, but they would leave them in blank. In 2012, opposition groups, um, a certain opposition group uh, damaged the ballots. So while statehood allegedly won, the uh, 2012 referendum, once you factor in all of the ballots that were damaged, um, it actually brings the 
uh, brings the margin of victory for statehood well below the 50 percent point. Um, and in 2017, all opposition parties united to boycott the referendum. Uh, so we see this apathy towards the process um, where a lot of Puerto Ricans, well, they may come out and vote for a governor because Puerto Rico has a very historically high uh, voter participation rate. They may not vote in the referendum. The issue with that is, and why the no campaign is calling people to come out and vote is, is that we cede control of the narrative uh, to the special interest groups that lobby for statehood in the United States when we boycott the referendums. Uh, the 2017 plebiscite voted 97% for statehood. And the message sent to the United States and to the, uh, to the politicians and to the focus groups and the special interests was that Puerto Ricans support statehood. No. Only 21% of Puerto Ricans showed up and voted in that referendum, and referendums usually have above 80% participation rates. They don't say that the opposition boycotted. They, they want to make it look like that Puerto Rico, by leaps and bounds, wants to be a state. So the we're at a critical moment now where the time has come for us to just say, oh, well, this plebiscite's not going anywhere. We're going to ignore it. It's time for us to actively combat the plebiscite process and vote no in the referendum in November. You spoke about uh, a coalition of uh, forces uh, on the island who are trying to push back on this referendum. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what this coalition, who this coalition consists of and why they insist on this no vote? Okay. Um, so I am, as I said, I am a candidate in the Puerto Rican Independence Party. Uh, so, of course, the position that I support is independence. Um, the... Coalition, however, is not just limited to people within the Independence Party. Uh, Sobrana Razones is a campaign of people from the PIC. It's people from other parties such as uh, the Partido Popular Democrático, Movimiento Victoria Ciudadana. It is uh, also composed of labor leaders such as the Federación de Maestros de Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rican Teachers Federation, as well as uh, other labor groups such as the uh, SPT um, and grassroots community leaders. So we are a ample coalition. We are a wide coalition that has come together uh, to denounce the uh, fraudulent plebiscite that they're trying to push through on November 3rd. Got it. Thanks for that context. It's important to have a sense of like, you know, the forces and, and the different visions that people uh, on the ground are developing for, for Puerto Rico. You know, one argument that I've heard from the pro-statehood people is that statehood is a path towards greater democratic rights and greater integration to the United States. Um, and I think they're really campaigning on this very basis um, pretty pretty actively. Um, how do you respond to this? And how would state, statehood affect Puerto Ricans negatively? Well, first of all, we need to talk about this. This is not a, an issue of civil rights. This is an issue of human rights. And the pro-statehood party in Puerto Rico has been the party that has most repressed civil and human rights in the history of Puerto Rico. Okay, the new progressive party has pushed through anti-LGBT uh, legislation. They have pushed through uh, uh, legislation that actively goes against the demands of the feminist community in Puerto Rico. The PNP got rid of a law for education with gender perspective, Educación con perspectiva de género, which basically taught that women and men are equal. That's what that taught. The Educación con perspectiva de género taught that, you know, pink is not just for girls to like, blue is not just for boys to like. 
right? It taught the girls can be mechanics and boys can be nurses. That that's what that's the shift that happened in Puerto Rican uh, the Puerto Rican education system and curriculum. And when the Bank got to power, they got rid of that. There have been six murders of trans Puerto Ricans this year, um, which is very high for Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is one of the most dangerous countries in Latin America for women. And the violence against women in 2020 has been surpassing previous records. And the pro-statehood government refuses uh, to declare a state of emergency. Uh, Richie Torres, who's running as a pro-statehood candidate for representative in New York City, was endorsed by Carlos Romero Barceló. And Carlos Romero Barceló was governor in the 70s and used his position as governor to assassinate independence leaders. He put bounties on the opposition leaders. And that man was governor, and that man endorsed Richie Torres. And Richie Torres has not backed away from that endorsement from Romero Barcelo. This is not a progressive movement. This is not a movement that is about civil rights. This is a movement that is run by special interest groups. This is a movement that is run by dark money. So I, I would like to make that clear. However, the issues with statehood um, is that a, it does not provide a viable economic path for Puerto Rico. Uh, col colonialism does not allow for the economic development of its colony, but it also do not, uh, does not allow for the integration into the colonized nation. So we have a system where U.S. corporations, U.S. businesses in Puerto Rico, um, do not pay any federal taxes. They're there in Puerto Rico so that they don't have to pay federal taxes. Under statehood, they would have to pay those taxes, and there would be a capital flight out of Puerto Rico. It would create massive unemployment in Puerto Rico. Right now, the uh, median income in Puerto Rico is $16,000 a year. We're twice as poor as the poorest state. Um, and our ever-shrinking middle class and working class would then have to pay federal income tax, because in Puerto Rico right now, we don't pay federal income tax. The tax burden on our working and middle class would be extraordinary. It would create, it would stimulate the outflight of Puerto Ricans. Um, in 1989, the last time the independence movement negotiated um, binding, uh, uh, binding agreements on status options for the United States, uh, between us and the United States, the United States Congress actually openly said that independence is the pathway forward um, that provides economic development for Puerto Ricans, but it also is economically convenient to the United States because those U.S. corporations don't want to pay, don't, they don't want to pay taxes, but under independence, we could keep those uh, U.S. corporations in the island, but have them play under our rules and under our terms, which is something that the, the current status does not permit. Um, as I alluded to, the out-migration of Puerto Ricans, the statehood would cause. Um, there would be no way to then determine uh, Puerto, Rican, Puerto Rican natives. Uh, and what do I mean by that? That the working class, the poor class, the middle class would be forced to leave the island. There would become a, a vacuum of land of property available. Um, and there's not, there's exists no way that that could be in the hands of Puerto Ricans because under statehood we're all Americans, yes? Um, the, United, the U.S. Virgin Islands, which of course isn't a state in their fifth constitutional convention in 2010, tried to create legislation to assure 
uh, the uh, uh, Native Virgin Islanders weren't being displaced, and the U.S. House Committee of Natural Resources declared that that was unconstitutional. Um, so it would actually provoke Puerto Ricans to leave the island. Uh, Edwin Miranda, who worked for Ricardo Rosselló, said in the chat that he saw the future. It was brilliant. It was a world where there were no more Puerto Ricans. Uh, that is what the statehood movement on the island represents. Uh, the Jones Act, which brings up the price of living in Puerto Rico significantly because of the tariffs, that still exists under statehood. This, the Jones Act applies to Alaska and Hawaii. And the pro-statehood party likes to say, well, we would have two senators and five representatives debated in Congress. Well, Hawaii and Alaska have been trying to get rid of it for 80 years, and they haven't. The Fiscal Control Board would still be there under statehood. Um, there are the autonomy, the, the issue of autonomy, that there'd be 102 senators. Um, uh, you know, we wouldn't have the ability to, uh, to, you know, two Puerto Rican senators versus 100. The, issue, the interest of the United States would still be... Uh, uh, overruling. So th that, those are many issues of why I think statehood is not the option and why we need to seek uh, sovereignty uh, for the island. It sounds like you probably have like a dozen more reasons as to why statehood is probably not a good idea for the island. Unfortunately, we're, we're running a little close on time. But before I get to the next question, I just want to welcome any new listeners who are turning tuning in now to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM. Again, my name is Julian, and I'm here speaking with Paul Figueroa about Puerto Rico's upcoming referendum on November 3rd. Um, let's get back to our question. I think we have one more question, and then we're going to go to callers. And if we have some time, we'll come back to some of these questions. Paul, you've said uh, a couple times that you're a candidate running for the San Juan City Council position on the Partido Independentista Puerto Riqueño ticket, or in English, the Puerto Rican Independence Party. Can you talk to me a little bit about the history of this party and, and what it stands for? I mean, I know that's a big question, but, you know, what you can in a couple minutes. Um, the Partido Independentista was founded in 1946 uh, when the Partido Popular Democrático abandoned the ideal of independence. Uh, the Partido Independentista, since its founding, has been a democratic socialist party. Uh, we are a member of Socialist International um, and our vision of Puerto Rico is a free Puerto Rico that is fully engaged with the rest of the world um, and that is uh, governed under a socialist and a cooperativist uh, style of governance. Got it. Thanks. That's that's helpful. I think maybe we'll be able to go a little bit more into that at some point. Um, we've you know, unfortunately, run out of time for this segment, the interview segment, and I want to make sure we open up our phone lines to Working Class Heroes listeners. New York City, we want to hear from you. But first, we're going to take a short musical break. And when we return, hopefully we have some callers lined up. So if you want to speak with us or ask Paul a question, give us a call at 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. Stick around. We'll be right back. Now, all of my friends told me about how you laugh and you brag and you... 
y yo estoy preparada y hecha. Cuando llegué, no me recuerdo la fecha. Nueva York, la ciudad tan grande y fría. Ven pa' comer en la casa de mi tía. Todos los días para la escuela pública. Muchas clases diferentes, música. Cuando quiere ven, visite por acá. Mucha gente que se ha ido llorará. Un día vamos a vernos, ojalá. Chócame los dedos, que se oiga el mundo entero. Sé que a ti te gusta lo que tiene mi caramelo. Ven, consigue. Si no tienes papeles, te persigue. Escucha, aquí estamos todos en la lucha. Pa' todas las chicas del can, todas las chicas del can. Boricua, dominicana, de la gran manzana. Si no te gusta, no te viste, porque no va? Soy de dos mundos y lenguaje no fui yo que compré el pasaje. Pero aquí estoy. La calle no es de hoja, pero no gusta el coro. Esto es para mi gente que todos son tesoro. La piscina High Bridge, uptown where I live. The box, the heights, we had to fight for freedom. Too light to be black, too black to be Spanish. Contradictions of life, yo, living on this planet. All we need is love and a little understanding. All we need is love and a Welcome back. That was Circa 95's track, All We Need. This is probably one of my favorite tracks from this dope New York City-based rap duo. This is Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, and you could also listen to us uh, streaming live on WBAI.org. We were just asking Paul Figueroa some questions about Puerto Rico's statehood referendum, and now we want to hear from you listeners. So give us a call. Again, the number is 212 212- 209-2877. While we wait for our first caller, Paul, um, let me ask you another question. Um, Lydia Velasquez and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, two of New York's congressional representatives and who themselves are of Puerto Rican descent, have put forward a bill called the Puerto Rican Self-Determination Act of 2020, which has gotten a lot of criticism from the pro-statehood forces in Puerto Rico. Do you support this bill? And can you tell us why? Um, I would like to, I would like to start by saying that uh, Nidia and AOC have both been very open to listening to Puerto Ricans on the island uh, about the bill itself as it currently is and about the potential uh, for further development of this bill in the next congressional session. I think it is very important that they have allowed for that process to be open. Uh, because even forced decolonization is still a form of uh, imperialism, yes? Um, So I I would like to thank them for that. At the same time, uh, I do think there are ways that the bill can be improved. Um, I would like to see an option where the United States clearly lays out what they are willing to offer Puerto Rico. For example, the Uh, pro-statehood forces like to say that uh, under statehood, Spanish could still be the official language. Um, So, you know, maybe that could be a factor where statehood might win. Uh, But then the United States accepts statehood and then says, well, we're not going to allow that. On the opposite side, in 1989, the last time we negotiated independence, uh, the United States said that Puerto Ricans could retain U.S. citizenship. Uh, that was said over 30 years ago. Maybe that has changed. Uh, we have the right to know before we start a decolonization process of what is really on the table for us. Got it. That's good to know to have that set, that that context there. Um, so, you know, New York City has a significant number of Puerto Ricans, often called New Yorkans. What role can the this diaspora, the New Yorkans, play in the statehood referendum? And maybe not just strictly New Yorkans, but the the general Puerto Rican diaspora, which is across the entire country. 
<clears throat> how can they support a, a, a vote no campaign? Um, well, they can start by calling their congressional representatives to tell them to co-sign uh, the bill that AOC and Nidia Velasquez put forward. Uh, right now it has, I believe, 16 co-sponsors. Um, to get it approved, they're going to need many more. Um, and the No campaign is also planning uh, two Puerto Rican Days of Action on October 21st and October 28th, uh, where we are going to be organizing phone banking for people in the diaspora to call the island and to tell people to vote no. Um, that can be found on the Facebook page, Sobre las razones para votar no. Um, but if you aren't able to phone bank with us on the 21st and 28th, still call your family and friends in Puerto Rico uh, and tell them that it's very important that they vote no in this referendum on November 3rd. Thanks for that. So hopefully we can direct folks there through our social media. We can share some of these um, some of these links uh, that you can pass to us, Paul, at some point in the future, near future, I should say. Um, so I, I don't think we have any callers yet. Again, callers, you can give us a call at 212-209-2877. We want to hear from you. In the meantime, Paul, so let me ask you this. If do you, does the coalition, the Vote No Coalition, have any, or the Partido uh, Independentista Puerto Riqueño, do you guys have a plan if the referendum does pass? Well, we don't believe the referendum is going to pass. Uh, that, is, that is our mission. Uh, that is what we believe after everything that has happened in the last year in Puerto Rico. But there is no way the statehood referendum will win. Uh, that being said, uh, with the voter suppression that we saw in the primaries in Puerto Rico, the ballots weren't making it to places on time that the primaries had to be canceled and then started over again in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, because uh, of the amount of money that the pro-statehood uh, camp is putting into the campaign, um, that is a possibility, although I don't think it'll happen. Um, and and if that does happen, we will need to continue uh, engaging uh, with the United States, uh, working with the United States government, working with uh, different activist communities around the country uh, to send a message that not a majority of Puerto Ricans support statehood. There's been resistance to these plebiscites in the past. Many people do not want to go out to vote. The independence movement, uh, or the Puerto Rican Independence Party, is not the only independence movement. There are many pro-independence many anti-statehood movements on the island that do not participate in the elections because they believe participating in colonial elections uh, will only advance colonialism. So once you factor in the people that uh, don't believe in the plebiscite mechanism and just aren't going to show up or distrust the plebiscite mechanism and aren't going to show up, um, that will bring down the numbers of people that support statehood. And once you factor in the independentistas uh, that don't participate in elections, uh, then that also lowers the numbers for statement. So even if it wins, not a majority of people uh, support it. Got it. Okay. Um, still waiting for some callers. Give us a call in New York. We want to hear you. 212-209-2877. Now that we have this extra bit of time, hopefully while we wait for some callers, um, I want to ask, uh, I want to go back to the question of the independence movement. Paul, could you tell us a little bit what 
the activism on the ground look like in respect to the independence movement in Puerto Rico? And what role they've played with uh, recovery and relief given some of the recent catastrophes that, that the island has exhibited or experienced, I should say? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the independence movement uh, and the recovery from the disasters uh, has been very mobilized. Uh, we believe in uh, autogestion and community self-sustainability. Uh, in a vision of Puerto Rico where communities decide their future, uh, activism from and for the communities. Uh, So the Partido Independentista, we were uh, actively uh, uh, doing uh, shipments of supplies to the South after the earthquakes, uh, doing community efforts uh, without promoting the party itself. Um, The Wanda Vasquez, the governor, got in trouble for holding up aid, um, holding up relief to the South until her photographers could get there to record her being there. The Partido Independentista, we never had a photographer there the entire time they were doing our uh, work in the South. Um, I know of other organizations that have also been working with communities, doing community needs assessments, and giving the communities themselves the tools where they can, uh, where they can rebuild. Uh, the pro-independence movement has been, of course, very active uh, in the uh, time of Regi Renuncia and the time afterward. But beyond, okay, well, we're going to go protest and we're going to get rid of this guy, right? Of doing political education through community-based assemblies and the community parks and educating people on the limitations of the Puerto Rican constitution. Um, something that the Partido Independentista proposed was for um, uh a vote to revoke a governor from power. That if there is enough, that, uh, if there is this popular demand again to get rid of a governor, that we have an electoral mechanism to do that um, for the ability to form electoral coalitions, for the ability to have a second round of voting. Um, so we have, uh, so we, we've been active throughout that whole process. Got it. That that's that's good to know. So sorry to to slow you, uh, Paul. I think Gio's telling us we have two callers. That is correct. We have two callers. All right. Let's uh, let's get the first caller in. Okay. Hey, caller, you are on the air. Please tell us your name and where you are calling from. Hi. Hey, caller. Hello? Welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio. What's your name? Hi. I'm Mickey from the Bronx, and I'm buddy and longtime listener. For a long time. Mickey, welcome. Thank you. I, I just wanted to say I love this programming. I appreciate it as a Puerto Rican myself and much needed because there's so much over here in New York, so much misinformation for, for the longest of time. And uh, so much so, it's, it's almost like the vote. You know, people would say that Trump is a good businessman. Would you believe that? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> It's just incredible that the misinformation and 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 look how we're being treated as so-called citizens. You know that they think citizenship because a lot of Puerto Ricans here say, "Oh my gosh, se muere todo el mundo," that you know they'll starve. And they, but you have to open your eyes as human beings. Which the fact that that we don't have sovereignty should be like the most important thing that you don't have a right for self-determination. So the hypocrisy, I just want to thank you. I'm cooking. <laughs> and I, I also want you to clarify uh, Commonwealth. 
And uh, Estadio Social, is that the same thing? Yes. Okay. And mm -hmm. I, I, I really thought we were citizenship citizens, you know. I mean, we fought in all the wars. That's what everybody, you know, they think, you know. I'll listen so off the end. Thank you so much for the programming. We appreciate you, Mickey. Paul. Um, so Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. We've been U.S. citizens since 1917. Um, however, the United States uh, reserves the right to take away our citizenship at any time. Um, so natural birthright can be taken away. Um, so there are there's levels to our citizenship, right? Where the even though we are U.S. citizens, uh, we have U.S. passports. Uh, we are not granted the same type of citizenship that Americans in the states have. Got it. Thanks for the clarification, Paul. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we have any more time. Or, Gio, what do you think? Do you think we can take another call? Yeah, we could squeeze one more, in, one more in. Why not? This is the last caller. You know, she's waiting patiently. So why not? Let's do Hello? It. Hey, caller, you are on the air. Please tell us your name and where you are calling from. You're the last caller. Oh, hello. My name is Carol. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, thank you for the program. Um, and uh, what I would like to ask is um, if you could say something, something about the pharmaceutical industry in Puerto Rico. I know, remember, at one time, years back, uh, mm -hmm. they had these, uh, didn't take, um, they didn't mm -hmm. pay taxes. And, uh, you know, there were, including members of my family, were employed. And then when the tax breaks finished, they just got up and ran and just mm -hmm. left everything uh, devastated. Now what I hear in the news that Trump is proposing something uh, again, you know, uh, with the, getting the pharmaceuticals back in, of course you can trust them as far as you could throw him. But if you could give us some, uh, you know, your take on this new, um, you know, initiative to start up a uh, pharmaceutical, you know, industry in Puerto Rico. Uh so, yeah, you're completely right. Uh, when the tax breaks ended, the tax code 936, uh, many industries left Puerto Rico, including the pharmaceutical industry. Um, that's part of the issue of our ability not to have a local sustainable economy. Uh, when the United States decides to get rid of tax exemptions, well, then the U.S. businesses decide to leave. Um, the uh, president, I, I don't think I can say President Trump, Donald Trump, uh, has proposed developing the pharmaceutical industry in Puerto Rico again. However, many in the pro-statehood movement are against it um, because it treats Puerto Rico as a foreign tax entity and them as being pro-statehood want Puerto Rico to be treated uh, as a state when it comes to tax regulations, which is part of the reason for the economic decline uh, during their administrations. So we are definitely over time now. Uh, I want to really thank Paul Figueroa for being on the show, for really giving us a great education here uh, at Working Class Heroes Radio and WBAI. Paul, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I also want to thank Mel, Lupita, Khadija, Danny. Um, I want to thank Carol and Mickey for calling in. Really appreciate you guys whenever you call in. And of course, our WBAI engineer, Gio. Thank you. And we'll catch you right here on WBAI next uh, on October 17th at 6 p.m.
Remember New York, stay safe and stay healthy and siempre. Bye like to be black, too black to be Spanish. Contradictions of life, yo, living on this planet. All we need is love and a little understanding. All we need is love and a little understanding. Vamos a buscar la verdad, aunque no está cerca. Power to the people. Despierta. Wake up, now or never. I know you've seen it all, but we could do it better, yeah. We could do it better. Corre, corre camino. Pronto llega el destino. Mata los enemigos, que cuando caen los fuimos. You ain't never catching us. Dollar van, train or bus. No, there's nothing to discuss. It's the sound of the city where survival is a must. Always in a rush, and there's no one you could trust. No, no one you could trust. Con nadie confíe. Salva lo que consigue. Todo pa' tu Gente, lo de mano le demente, pa'lante, pa'l frente, todo estamos presente, pa'lante, pa'l frente, todo estamos presente, pa'lante, pa'l frente, todo estamos presente, pa'lante, pa'l frente, todo estamos presente. La calle no es de oro, pero no gusta el coro. Esto es pa' mi gente que todos son tesoro. La piscina high bridge, uptown where I live. The Bronx, the heights, we had to fight for freedom. Too light to be black, too black to be Spanish. Contradictions of life, yo, living on this planet. All we need is love and a little understanding. All we need is love and a little understanding.